It's great to have you joining us again for another episode of LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and myself, Andrew Morris. It's uh, it's our 20-minute weekly conversation uh, where life and faith intersect. If you've got a question, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. G'day, David. Great to uh, be with you again. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here again. We might get stuck into some more questions. Yep. So this week, David, we've got some really interesting questions, uh, starting from a friend who suffered tragedy and uh, why can't the church stop competing and be more more unified? But first, have we got any right, David, to go up to strangers and talk to them about Jesus? Well, I think the real issue is not that whether we have the right. It's usually legal to do that. I mean, there might be situations where it's illegal, but generally, you've, I suppose you've got a right. But is it wise to do so? Um, what, what I want to say at the outset is that, look, some people are very good at it. Some people can bowl up to strangers and start talking about Jesus and before too long they're in the kingdom. I mean, that's wonderful and I would no way want to stop such fruitful and gracious contacts with people. But for most of us, our talking to others about Jesus happens in ongoing relationships where we've... Um, where we've come to know that other person they've come to know us so therefore then we're not just seen to be religious salespersons just we none of us likes being buttonholed by people and having something shoved down our throat um we don't like aggressive marketing so i don't think christians should be in that business either we shouldn't mistake boldness which is good for rudeness which is not good so in general it might not be wise to approach strangers to talk about Jesus as our primary means of giving a witness for Jesus. I mean, the old school days of when I was going to school in the city, you would often see in the cinema strip people uh, using a horn blower, if you like, uh, a bullhorn and proclaiming, I guess that's the, the, the shouting it from the corner street kind of approach. But I guess this day of relationships and stuff, and being in a relationship and then maybe through that conversation and relationship bringing up, uh, I guess, your faith, that could be seen sometimes and it is criticised for being a bit wishy-washy, a bit, a bit sort of a, a bit of a cop-out. It can be. It can be because uh, there used to be a term uh, years ago called friendship evangelism. And as one person put it, there seems to be a lot more friendship than evangelism happening in that concept. And I think that can be right. Uh, and that's that's the danger, uh, that we can so downplay our faith that all we're doing is being jolly nice people to our friends. And that's about it. Well, I think we can do more than that. But at the same time, no, we don't go to the other extreme either and and aggressively and stridently force Jesus on people because, yes, hearing about Jesus is vital, but taking the wrong approach might see people more resistant to him. See, when I read the New Testament, a lot of the talk about witnessing there is responsive witnessing. It's, it's living in a certain way, being in certain relationships, and assuming that people are actually going to ask you about your faith or they're going to raise issues and you are able to, in that proper and wise context, talk about your own faith. So it's responsive and, and, and it can be very effective because what you are then doing is relying on the Holy Spirit to open those doors for the gospel so you can then walk through them, rather than you forcing the door open out of a mistaken sense of bravado or so-called boldness. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is our, I mean, he's described as our counsellor and as our 
advocate. So we should probably, yeah, learn to rely on the Holy Spirit's prompting and guidance, would you say, Dave? Oh, in- indeed. Oh, look, I think it's fine every morning to pray to God, God, those who I meet, those who I interact with today, may I have an opportunity to share something of Jesus with them? Now, remember, sharing something of Jesus may not be verbal. It may not be pronouncing the actual uh, uh, gospel statements from the from the Bible. It may just be doing good works towards them, which Jesus, of course, asks us to do. But in some way, Lord, may I share something of your love and demonstrate something of your love and concern to those around me and when the opportunities come to talk about my faith I will have the boldness to do so so but we need boldness to actually walk through the open door but we need wisdom to recognize the open door and I guess a practical approach to that would be to actually sort of think about your story your relationship with Jesus how you became a Christian, why you became a Christian. So you do have something to say when that time comes and, and maybe not to be left floundering, if you like, but to, to know your story. Oh, it raises an interesting point and a very big point, Andrew, that, that, that what are we witnessing to? Are we witnessing to a set of doctrinal propositions, which is true, we are. Our Christian Christianity is, is certainly based on certain reasonable beliefs. But no, we are witnessing to more than that. I'm not witnessing to the truth of the Trinity or the truth of the incarnation of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus. I am doing that, but I'm doing something far more, as you've suggested. I'm actually witnessing to the fact that I have embraced that, that I am engaging in that divine story. So I'm not witnessing to a set of assertions. I am actually telling something from my heart. And of course, that brings us to what is one of the keys to effective, wise, bold Christian witnessing. It is that I've got something to witness to, not just a set of facts, but a set of facts which has actually shaped and changed and is continuing to change my life. And I think it's probably good to take some of the pressure off in that that you yourself, I can't really be, probably not handy for me to have the pressure to think, oh, I've got to, I've got to impact you I've got to turn you to the truth but let the Holy Spirit do that yes that's right uh, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to set up these what we might call divine appointments so that I'm meeting with people and interacting with people who God is already working on you see this is this is a, we can trust that the Holy Spirit has gone before us we're not the ones to crudely go in barge in on people's lives we are the ones to graciously and discerningly follow the Holy Spirit and having followed the Holy Spirit, we then, I believe, need to understand our faith, have a reasonable grasp of what we believe. The Bible says we ought to do that, but not only to have a reasonable grasp of those doctrines and beliefs, but to have that living experience of the risen Jesus, which gives real authenticity to our testimony to the doctrines. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and myself, Andrew Morris. This is a, a weekly conversation where we talk about life and faith and how they intersect. If you've got a question for David, we'd love to hear that question. You can email us lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. We've got two more questions to look at. And the next question is, why can't all different churches just get together rather than compete? Well, I'm not sure whether they're the only two options, Andrew. Um Sure, churches ought not to fight with one another or be disrespectful of one another, but I don't think we. it's just a matter of just all getting together. We can be different and even celebrate our differences. For example, I mean, the church to which I belong, and many churches are like this, we have different Sunday gatherings at different times and different styles. Now, forcing all those people to just get together might in fact crush 
diversity. So it's important that the Christian church accepts the, the diversity and the range of opinions and expressions of faith and so on um, without feeling as though we've all got to come into one big uniform gathering. So, so I, I would argue, for example, there's nothing wrong with denominations. They reflect this diversity. But the important thing is that we recognise we're all on the same side. I think God's happy enough for his people to gather and express their faith in different ways in different churches. But he's very unhappy when those churches start attacking one another or looking down on one another as if one Christian tradition has the whole truth. The fact is we've got to realise God is not an evangelical. God is not a Catholic. God is not a Pentecostal or a Baptist or a Quaker. God is over and above all those traditions and yet it seems to be pleased to work within those traditions. We ought to respect our different traditions. Uh, we ought to be able to work together uh, from, from our own traditions. Uh, we need to hold firm to where we stand and have our own preferences. Of course we do. But at the same time to say, thank you, Lord, for the richness and the diversity within the Christian church. Uh, yes, you only have to be on Facebook for a little while to uh, to see the conversations and discussions that come up about different churches that people belong to. How can we respect each other? That, that is, how can churches respect each other? Well, one very simple thing we can do, and I've got to say we, we occasionally do this in our church, although possibly we should do it more, is when we gather together on Sunday, we pray for the other churches in our area. We say, thank you, Lord, for... This particular, we name the churches, this particular church, that particular church. Now, we, we accept our differences and we may have even robust disagreements in private with them. But we pray for our brothers and sisters in other churches and the leaders of those churches. And I just mentioned before robust disagreements. Yes, of course there can be robust disagreements, but one way we respect one another within the church is to not let those robust disagreements become personally hostile, not to air, as it were, our dirty linen in public and so bring the church into disrepute, um, but rather to respectfully disagree. And you can only respectfully disagree if you... If, if you avoid this temptation that I referred to earlier in this episode, that of thinking that my tradition, my way of expressing the Christian faith is the truth and everything else is in error. No, no, no. No one tradition has a monopoly on that truth. And I think we can only respect other churches if we accept the fact that, yes, they too are worshipping God through Jesus Christ. They too have the truth. They don't have all the truth. We don't have all the truth. We can learn from one another. And that's another way we respect other churches. We respect them by learning from one another. I, I am neither, for example, a Catholic or a Pentecostal. I have learnt so much from Catholic writers and practices and, and, and people within the Catholic tradition. I have learnt and been blessed so much by people within the Pentecostal tradition, um, yet I belong to a different tradition. It's important to both respect your own tradition and to acknowledge the value of those other traditions as well. That enables us to be respectful to those other traditions while maintaining our love and concern for our own tradition. How would you approach having a, a healthy discussion on Facebook as a Christian about different church-related issues and do it politely and the, the correct way? One, I think, 
a very essential thing is if I'm going to get into respectful dialogue is to truly listen, not to come from a position of power, whereas, right, I'm, I've got all the truth, you're in error, and I will play the game, as it were, of listening to you, but, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to demolish you with all my arguments as soon as you finish putting forward your own. Some of what passes as dialogue is not dialogue. It is just you making a speech, yeah. me making a speech, and in the end it gets nowhere. Now, I think we have respectful dialogue, first of all, by truly listening to what the other person says. We might end up disagreeing with it, but we truly must listen rather than just engaging in stereotypes. And the other the other important thing is, and this might sound a bit strange, but we've got to we've got to actually take an, a, a, a view that I might be wrong. Oh, hopefully not about the resurrection of Jesus or the atoning death of Jesus or nothing like that. But when I'm when I'm in dialogue with another Christian who disagrees with me, I've got to be able to say, God what can I learn from this person? I might not end up agreeing with them, but I may be able to learn something. They may be able to teach me something. So rather than me being in the power position of saying, I'm here representing truth to correct your error, I'm rather saying, look, what can I learn from you? How can I listen to you in such a way that I can learn something from you? You may have something to teach me. You may have something which will enrich me. And yet even after that, we still might disagree respectful dialogue uh, uh, simply acknowledges the fact that I disagree with you in a gracious and godly way, not writing you off, but accepting you as a, assuming you as a Christian brother or sister, rather than simply saying, well, I've won the argument. The important thing is you shouldn't get into winning or losing arguments. You should be in dialogue with one another saying, Lord, what can I learn from this other person and what can that other person learn from me? You can only learn by listening. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, myself, Andrew Morris. If you've got a question, please email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. It's our final question for today, and it is, what do I say to a friend who's suffered tragedy and asks me what God is doing about it? Well, this very much depends on the circumstances in which they're asking the question. Often this sort of question is asked when the pain is very raw and immediate. And my advice to people there is to say as little as possible. The book of Job is, is a famous example of that, where Job's companions came alongside him and for a week they were of superb help because they kept their mouths shut. As soon as they opened their mouths, everything went haywire. Uh, so uh, silent companionship uh, may well be um, a very, very... Um, proper response rather than a reasoned defense of God or a profound explanation of the problem of pain. See, if someone is, if someone's pain is raw and immediate and they cry out, what's God doing? It's often just a cry of pain, a cry of anguish, a cry of despair. It's not a philosophical question as if you've got to give a philosophical answer. So, so, so it's best to merely sympathize and perhaps genuinely say you don't know. Look, if someone said that to me, as I've often said it to me, why is God doing this? What's God doing in this situation? my most honest answer is I really don't know and there's no shame in that there's no shame in admitting you don't know what God is doing because ultimately number one it's honest number two the person perhaps is not even looking for a detailed answer they're just looking for companionship and someone who understands what they're going through well let's say David um the person who, who's going through a personal a time of crisis or, or tragedy does want indeed more answers as to where is God at this time? Yeah, look, it can be that 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 may well be the case. The person in the raw and immediate painful circumstance, yes, you may, as I said, just have to empathise and accept the fact that you yourself don't know. But that doesn't mean that 
in another context, a bit later on in the journey of pain and suffering, that you can't offer some sort of perspective. You're never going to offer an answer, but uh, the approaches you might use will include God respecting our human freedom. I mean, I mean, not even God gets his own way in this world. I mean, God's all for peace and justice and harmony and love, but boy, peace and harmony and justice and love aren't always the realities in our world. So we have to accept that. We accept the fact that Jesus has conquered evil and that one day that conquest will be made plain. We can we can talk about God being with us in our darkness. There's no darkness that's too dark for God. He's always with us in the depths. That our God is a suffering God. Through Jesus, he knows what it is to suffer. Look, we can offer all these things and they're good. They're not arguments or answers necessarily, but they're perspectives and we can offer people those perspectives. But remember that we offer those perspectives wisely and sensitively, not in the immediate rawness of the pain, but perhaps later on as people reflect more on where God is in the midst of their painful journey, we can talk about these things. Um, but, but remember, they fall short of being answers. They're merely approaches to the ultimately unanswerable issue. What part does prayer play, play in this part? I mean, obviously... Um Yes, lots of lots of questions, but in a practical sense, finding some peace and solitude and, and just in a time of trauma, prayer must be a, a go-to position. Well, yes, it is. Uh, but again, if you go back to the book of Job, Job's prayers to God were anguished and somewhat confused and um, um, pain-filled sort of prayers. Um, so I think the person going through the pain and the suffering um, certainly will pray to God, even though, as Job found out, that, that God seemed to be absent, and yet God, uh, Job was still addressing God as if he were present. This is part of the mystery of prayer, that we're praying to a God who we believe is present, but somehow or other doesn't seem to be manifesting his presence. So it's that sort of prayer. But remember, for the person in pain who's going through this sadness, it won't be neat and easy and pious and beautifully phrased prayers. Um, they may well be cries of pain and anguish, incoherent, not making much sense, but my point is God will accept those prayers. And in terms of someone helping people on their journey of pain and suffering, uh, we can very much pray for them. Uh, that's and that's possibly the, the best thing we can ever do for them, to bring them before God in prayer, saying, God, I don't know what you are doing, but I trust that you know what you're doing. And for the person in pain and for the person helping the person in pain, that's the essence of faith, not knowing what God is doing, trusting that God knows what he's doing. Well, that concludes uh, another Life Words. I hope you've enjoyed our session with David today. And David, uh, we pose a question and then we have an answer, but then more questions. It, it, it's definitely not a black and white world that we live in. No, it's certainly not. Um, two things, Andrew. One is it's okay to have questions. Uh, some people think because I've got these questions, uh, I'm somehow deficient in my faith. No, you're not. Life is full of mystery. Uh, this It's full of complexity, and it's perfectly okay to have the question. And more than that, it's perfectly okay not to have all the answers. I mean, we're not pretending here in these podcasts that there's some expert sitting here in a radio studio having all the answers to things. Not, not at all. Uh, it is okay to ask the questions, and it is perfectly okay to be able to say at the end of the day, I'm not quite sure of the answer to that. I haven't quite figured that out. Because after all, God is God. We aren't God. We don't know everything. You can have faith and trust in God without having to know everything. <laughs> 